heart-wrenching loss. All right? Anybody can wear your gear when your team wins. But uh, you get to see the fans when uh, their, their team goes through hardship. And I'm telling you, the story today on forgiveness, uh, last night, it's a good thing you weren't at my house because there was a whole bunch of forgiving I needed to do in my own heart. Um, man, that was tough, but I believe they're going to win, and even if they don't, may God be glorified, right? Thank goodness our lives aren't determined by a, a, a game, right? So uh, I, I want to start off this morning uh, telling you about a, a story when I was in seventh grade. I had been um, sick um, quite a bit when I was younger, and when I would miss uh, school, it wouldn't be for like one or two days, it would be like for one or two weeks. And so it was just something that, you know, uh, uh, I didn't have a spleen, and so my body just has a harder time fighting off infections and, and sicknesses, whereas others uh, can fight them off uh, better. And so one of these occasions, I had been sick, and uh, you know what? I had not, that I can recall, ever cheated before at school because I just thought, no, you, you don't cheat. You work hard, you, 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 you get what you, what you earn, right? And um, so those times when I'd get bad grades, I hated it, but like, no, you don't do this. Well, this was a time in which I uh, succumbed to pressure, my own pressure and the pressure of wanting to please my parents and the pleasure, pressure of just wanting to like, I, I got to get a good grade on this test. And so what had happened was, is this was an occasion when I was sick for, for a, uh, probably, I don't remember the amount of time, but probably uh, a week. And when I came back, I had to do a makeup test. And um, I had a buddy of mine, I'm not going to say his name, uh, just because, well, you'll see maybe in a little bit, but he was a good buddy of mine. And he said, hey, I'll help you out. And I had watched other friends cut corners, right? Cheated to, uh, and I just thought, this one time, this, this, okay. And so all of a sudden, he had already taken the test and he had already, you know, that was back in the days when you got your papers back so you could see what you got wrong, right? So he's got the answer key, basically. And he pulls it on out. And I'm taking the test. We're in the middle of class and the teacher's talking about other stuff and he's just, I'm, I'm going, okay, number four. And it was multiple choice. So he's giving me the answers, you know. A. A. C, C, D. And I mean, I'm powering through this. And because I'm powering through this, I can't hand it in early because then I know. It's like, well, the teacher's going to know because, Craig, you're not that smart, okay? <laughs> so I kind of hold on to it. And I just kind of wait. And uh, even though the teacher's teaching the whole rest of the class, everything else, I, I wait till the end of class. And, and I'm just like, I'm thinking, oh, man, this is so good. I'm so glad. You know, I, I kind of got caught up and I handed it on in. And uh, the next day, I got my test back, and I'm just going, this is going to be great. And I got the test back, and the teacher just looked at me, and uh, she handed it to me. It was folded, and I'm kind of like, 
I'm trying not to like show that, oh, I know I aced this thing. Right? How could I not? One of my closest friends is feeding me all the answers. And I even chose a few answers wrong because I wanted to make sure that I wasn't going to look, you know, like, uh, how did you get 100%? I'm thinking, hey, if I can just get in the 90s, low 90s even, high 80s, I'll be happy. I open it up, and there's a big flag on it, the big F. And uh, I had only gotten, like, 10 of them right, and all the rest were wrong. And I'm telling you, I was angry, to say the least. Now, please hear me. I'm not trying to justify what I did. There's no justification in that. Whether before a Christian or after a Christian, there, there's no justification for that. I'm just telling you, I put my trust in one of my closest buddies, and he had offered it. I hadn't even asked him. And all of a sudden, boom. And I open it up, and I look right across the aisle because he's right next to me. And I, I, I had to have been five shades of red. There had to have been smoke coming out of my ears. There had to have been lightning bolts going from my eyeballs to him. And I'm just like, boom. And he, he just kind of was squirming and then wouldn't look at me, just kept staring straight ahead. And I'm just like, I couldn't wait till class was over because I was like, what happened? What did you do? And he says, well, hey, the rest of us had to take it without having the answers. You, you needed to, too. And I felt like I was set up, and I felt like I'd been betrayed. And listen, this happened 47 um, years ago, 46 years ago. But I use that example because... That has still been in my memory. And for the longest time afterwards, you know what? I was not friends with him. I felt like he stabbed me in the back. I felt like he did me wrong. Again, I can recognize that what I did was wrong. But boy, the, the betrayal by a friend. He was a guy that we would go over each other's houses all the time. On weekends, we'd hang out, and, and it was just really hard for me to deal with that. Then we graduated from school, and then we went to high school together, and you know what? Uh, our relationship was strained because I was holding, I was so upset. Every time I saw him, I was just thinking, man, you did me over. And I was holding on to it. And it took the longest time for me to finally go, wow, Lord, what am I doing here? I'm a prisoner of my own lack of unforgiveness. Now, you might think, oh, well, that's, that's a nice little story uh, about a, you know, 12, 13-year-old kid. Um, but all of us have stories. And listen, I, choose to, I chose to share the one that happened um, way back then because uh, there are stories that I'm still trying to work through, right? Hurts that I'm still trying to uh, work through. As pastors, we're not immune to that. And, uh, you know, uh, there are some times when I would tell some stories of some hurts with some friends because they were safe, 
And because they cared about me and they allowed me, they were a safe place to allow me just to, to share how hurting I was. And, and yet, I could still feel myself starting to rise. And I was kind of recognized, wait, this, this isn't healthy. Because it's stirring up these emotions within me that are causing me to question, did I really forgive? So I start with that to get you thinking about maybe what, what your story might be. And I know there's more than one, and I know they're a whole lot deeper betrayal and hurt and pain than what I just shared. But when we dig into God's word in, in just a, a few moments, um, I just wanted to get you thinking about that, okay? So uh, the passage we're looking at today follows after Jesus answered the disciples' earlier question, way back at the beginning of chapter 18, and that was in verse 1, is, and when they asked, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And uh, um, Roger warned us two weeks ago to, to make sure that, one, we were in the kingdom first off, and then uh, also not to cause other believers to sin, and while we need to avoid sin in our own lives at any cost. That was a couple weeks ago when we started chapter 18. And then last week, uh, we saw where Jesus taught about his passion for rescuing lost people, those who had gone astray in the parable of the lost sheep, and the instructions that he gives to us individually and corporately on how to rescue those who wander from the faith. Jesus gave instructions for how to deal with a fellow believer who sins against you in verses 15 through 17. And this takes us where, to where we're going to pick up the story today. Our passage starts in verse 21. So whether you're here or whether you're at home, I want to encourage you to open up your Bibles to Matthew 18, verses 21, and it goes all the way through the end of the chapter to verse 35. So if you'll turn there, follow along with me as I read it. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. And when his fellow servants saw that what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Verse 32, then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. 
And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Okay, well, we're going to go looking on in here and, and uh, we're going to start off with the setting. And the setting basically deals uh, w- with two things. We're going to start in verse 21. It, it's Peter's question. It says, Then Peter came up to him and, and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? His question is coming right on the heels of Jesus' answer to if your brother, which in the, in the Greek, fellow believer, if your fellow believer sins against you, back in verse 15, you should, and then Roger went over those uh, instructions for us last week, you should go to him alone and tell him his fault with the goal. What's the goal? Of rescuing, of bringing them back into fellowship with you. Reconciliation. The goal is restoration of that relationship between the two believers and also between the one who is in sin and the one who is with God. Right? It's, it's a two-way street here. But if that doesn't work, then we, we read, take one or two others with you and try again in verse 16. And if that doesn't work, tell it to the church. And if, that still, and if that person still does not listen, and by listening I mean repent, feel remorse for, for what they have done. If there is none of that, then he is to be treated as somebody who is deliberately rebellious against God. Verse 17 says he's to be treated as a Gentile and tax collector. So it's right after this teaching where, that Jesus did that Peter jumps right in with this question, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? And you know what? He doesn't even wait for Jesus' answer. Sometimes I, I just laugh at him so much until I realize uh, I'm just like him in many ways. Right? How often do I get ahead of the Lord and I think I know the answers And uh, it just doesn't work that way. Peter answers his own question with an answer in the form of another question. As many as seven times? Now, you're hearing my inflection. It's probably because of of how I'm kind of tainted to how I think um, Peter might have been feeling or thinking. But a few observations here. Nothing's wrong with the question. There's nothing wrong with the question. The Jewish rabbis taught that a brother might be forgiven a repeated sin up to three times. But on the fourth, there was no forgiveness. And I'll just tell you, all you have to do is write down the book of Amos. And you can go and look that up later on on your own. But... um, God's judgment was poured out in that book, and I can tell you uh, we see three different groups where it was poured out on. One, uh, on Israel's neighbors, 
And six different times, it's written in Amos. Chapter 1, verses 3, 6, 9, 11, 13, and then in chapter 2, verse 1. And it's all similar in the very beginning. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Damascus and for four, I will not revoke the punishment. He says the same thing. For, thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Gaza, and for four, I will not revoke the punishment. He says the same for Tyre. He says the same for Edom. He says the same for the Ammonites. And he says the same for Moab. But guess what? He doesn't stop there in Amos because in chapter 2, verse 4, we also see where God's judgment is on Judah. But the wording is still the same. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Judah, and for four I will not revoke the punishment, and I'm just gonna read to you why. Because they have rejected the law of the Lord and have not kept his statutes, those after which their fathers walked. Different reason, but after three times, nope. You're getting the judgment. And then just a, a few verses later, in in. Verse 6 of chapter 2, God's judgment on Israel. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Israel and for four, I will not revoke the punishment because they sell the righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. Man. Another observation is that Peter's probably feeling like he just aced his own test, Right? I mean, he asks the question and then he gives the answer before the master teacher answers it. He's asking the question and then answering it so that all of a sudden he can go, yeah, I got this one right, Jesus. I finally got one right, right? Kind of like how I was taking that test and expecting, like, I, I got this. Pretty cocky when I handed it on in, even though I'm trying not to show it. Oh, yeah, that was tough. Hard test, right? But feeling inside, I got this. And, and all of a sudden, you know, he, he's just thinking, hmm, I, I know what the standard practice is, but I, I'm going to go way past three times. And in fact, I'm going to even more than double it. Surely, I'm going to get Jesus' approval with this answer. So Peter's thinking of himself as being a, a big-hearted guy. One commentator wrote uh, that Peter probably felt very magnanimous, which means generous or charitable. I, I, know, I know our rabbis say three times, but I'm going to go seven. And that number seven was used. It was a perfect number. It was a whole number. So there's a whole other little kind of thing on in there. Yeah, I got this. What do you think of me now, Jesus? Huh? And uh, let's look at Jesus' answer. Verse 22, Jesus said to him, I did not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. Basically, nice try, Pete. <laughs> right? Nice try. You, you, you thought you got the answer nailed. You thought, yeah, you're going to go above and beyond what normally, you know, uh, 
our people practice, but you're not even close. You're not even close. Your answer is limited. And even if it was higher than what was the common practice, you still failed the test. The ESV and the NASB, they, they say uh, 70 times 7. And I've always thought of that answer as 490 times. But you know what, in this case, and, and I could be wrong, but uh, I, I'm just trying to go with this off of, um, you'll see. Um, I think the NIV actually is more accurate, and it's 77 times, not 70 times 7. And again, I could be wrong, but the reason why I, I, I say that is because um, Jesus was quoting the Septuagint of Genesis chapter 4, verse 24. Exactly here, in which he says, if Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech, 77 times. Man, how come I'm popping so much? I'm going to point it away. I'm going to try. Sorry, people. There. If not, I'll hold it. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. And even though there's a great difference between the two translations numerically, whether it be 490, if, you, if, if the accurate reading is, you know, 70 times 7, or if it's 77, it's not a very important difference. And here's why. Jesus was not specifying a maximum number of times his disciples should forgive their brothers. Neither was he wiping out what he had just taught about confronting an erring brother back in verses 15 through 20. His point was that disciples who are humble should not limit the number of times they forgive one another, nor the frequency with which they forgave each other. And then Jesus goes on in and tells the parable, the story, to clarify this point. Now, uh, on your outline, uh, or on the notes, it has comparison, contradiction, carriers, and consequences. You don't want to write all four of those down really quickly because um, I got a whole bunch of little points in between those, so I just want to make sure if you're like me, sometimes I hate crossing out and then drawing arrows like, oh, no, that goes here, where? So I'm just trying to give you a heads up. So in comparison, it's no problem. It's just verse 23. And here's the comparison. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. The word therefore, since Jesus requires his disciples, his followers, to forgive, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to or has become like a king who. That's what he's talking about. There's this, there's this kind of little comparison here. Kingdom of heaven? Hey, I, I want you to see that it, it, I'm going to talk to you about that, about my kingdom of forgiveness, with a story about a king who, and as we go into the rest of the story. It's kingdom of heaven compared to the king and his servants. Kingdom conditions forgive generously. Parable, a king who forgives generously. We're going to see that. 
This whole story deals with repeated personal forgiveness and the reason for it. The king, whose God has already forgiven the disciples much more than they could ever forgive their fellow disciples. But here we get to a contradiction. And in the contradiction, man, my mind was all over the place, and so I'm hoping to have brought some clarity, but if you can't follow my brain, um, get in line with my family. Okay? So uh, there's a contradictions between the first servant and the second servant. And um, I hope for us to see this contradiction between the two of them. Some things are the same, but others are very, very different. Let's look at what some of their similar predicaments. So this is where I'd put a point underneath, underneath the contradiction. I'd put a little point. Here's a predicament. They're almost exact solutions. That's going to be another point. And then finally, and the completely different outcomes. And I'm going to do that for the first servant, the predicament, the solution, and the outcome. And then I'm going to do that for the second servant. Okay? The first servant in verses 24 through 27 When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents, and since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. Okay, the predicament, first of all, this first servant, he, he... owed 10,000 talents. Now, this servant had great authority, but it was under an even greater king. This first servant had amassed a debt that was so great that he could not possibly ever repay it. I mean, ever. There was no chance of it. A talent was a a measure of weight that... um, it was equal to about 75 pounds. And it was the largest known amount of money. Okay? You couldn't get higher than a talent. Now, the number 10,000 is the largest known numeral in the Greek text. So they couldn't think of any greater number than 10,000. Combining the two, the largest amount of money and the largest known number would uh, make the largest possible debt. Okay? Jesus is telling this story, and yeah, is there hyperbole? Sure there is. But you'll see why in just a little bit. One commentator wrote that, that when the two were combined, the effect is like when we say zillions, Right? For the longest time, I don't know about those of you who remember this, because I'm so much older than a lot of you, but, you know, when Carl Sagan, and billions and billions and billions of years ago, right? Which, which you just go, man, you, you, you don't know God, <laughs> right? And we thought billions was big. I remember back in the, in the 70s even, uh, you know, you'd only heard of like a few millionaires. That was like incredible. Now, goodness gracious, Millionaires, ah. Now it's the billionaires. 
Pretty soon it's going to be the trillionaires. But in my mind, I think of zillionaires. The closest guesstimates would be either the equivalent to tens of millions of dollars or possibly billions of dollars if that was in our day today. So he couldn't pay. Verse 25, and since he could not pay, he mas his master ordered him to be sold and his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. He was sold into slavery along with his wife and along with his children and his possessions were sold. They, nothing was his anymore. He was to live the rest of his life separated from everything he ever knew he ever had. It would not make a dent in the debt at, at the most. Everything, him, his wife, his children, and his possessions, at the most, uh, uh, scholars say that maybe it would have equaled out to one talent. He's still going to be 9,999 talents short. So what's his solution? His solution is, what did he do? Verse 26, so the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. So we see that he fell to the ground. Basically, he threw himself to the ground. He prostrated himself and he implored his master, which, which is really, he was begging his master. I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I'm trying to picture myself if I'm in that situation. You know what? I, I'd have probably done the exact same thing. How am I ever going to repay this? There's no possible way. I'm going to lose everything. And so Jesus tells this story of how he did all this, and then he says, have patience with me. I will repay you everything. An obvious impossibility, right? And then let's look at the king's response. Verse 27, and out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. So one, he had pity for him. The king was moved with compassion. That's what that means. For the servant and for the servant's hopeless situation. That king was moved with compassion. And then what does he do? He released him. He released him from the sentence of being sold, of his family being sold, of all of his possessions being taken away. He released all of that to where he didn't lose anything. His debt was canceled. His debt was forgiven. Now let's look at the second servant. And we're going to see uh, what happened there, his predicament and, and his solution. And we're going to see the first servant's response. Verse 28 through 30. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his uh, fellow servants, who I call the second servant, who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I'll pay you. 
He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. The second servant's predicament. He owed the first one. He didn't owe the king. He owed the first one. And he owed money. He didn't owe ten, oh, oh, he didn't owe 10,000 talents. He owed 100 denarii. One denarii was equal to uh, one day's worth of work. That's what the wage was. One denarii. So he owed around three or three and a half months worth of wages. Okay? It's not like it's just pennies, but compared to zillions? Yeah, it, it is. It is so insignificant. It, it's, I'd say it's almost humorous, but unfortunately it's not. He was grabbed and choked. The servant was being physically abused by the first servant. We didn't see that in the, in the first predicament. We got no hint of that when Jesus was describing how the king had dealt with that first servant. And, and then the last part of this second servant's predicament is, is there was a demand for repayment. Pay what you owe. Very similar to what the king asked from the first one. And then here's his solution. And boy, if this does not read almost word for word from what we read earlier in verse 26. The second servant did exactly what the first servant did. Verse 29 says, So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me and I will pay you. Now let me remind you of verse 26. So the servant fell on his knees imploring him, Have patience with me and I will pay you everything. So the second servant fell to the ground just like the first one. He pleaded with this first servant just like the first servant did with the king. Have patience with me. I will repay you just like the first servant said. The only difference is Jesus didn't include the word everything with this servant. Now, let's look at the first servant's response, the one who's choking and grabbing him. Look at the difference of how he responded compared to how the king responded to him. He refused in verse 30 and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. He refused. The king had compassion. He put the second servant in prison until he paid his debt. The king released him and forgave his debt. Now we're going to look at the carriers, and it'll just be really quick. Uh, the carriers are just the fellow servants in verse 31. Verse 31 says, When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. These fellow servants, they saw what had happened. They were greatly distressed. That means they were deeply grieved. They saw how incongruent this situation was. As fellow servants, we can just kind of let our minds go to the fact that Jesus could have let Peter know, yeah, these guys would have known what the king had forgiven that first servant. They would have known that. There would have been talk. And then they observed, it says they witnessed what, what had happened here. And so all of a sudden, in Jesus' story, he's saying, yeah, now they, they physically saw 
whether we knew it from the first instance or not. They physically saw it, and they were grieved. They saw the injustice. And then you know what they did? They told the king what they saw. They were going to bat for their fellow servant, the second servant. It's like, oh my goodness, the first one. If anybody's going to forgive, it's going to be him. Maybe there was some ideas or some talk if, if this had been a, a true story that, oh man, I don't know what I would have done if I was in that situation. I don't know if I could forgive that. Debt. Oh, I, I wish I was on the receiving end of that. You know, just the kind of things that I can't let myself get distracted by because it's a parable. It's a story that Jesus is teaching on how to illustrate his incredible forgiveness. But um, then we see the consequence. Verse 32 through 34. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So we see that the master, the king, summoned him back. You got to wonder, you know, if you're in that situation, what would you be feeling? What would you be thinking? I've been forgiven all this. Whoa, he's calling me back. Maybe he's going to give me a raise too. I don't know. But uh, that's where my mind starts to go. But here's what happens. He got scolded. And we see that right there in verse 32 and, and, and 33. His master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. Why did the king scold this first servant? Because, one, he was forgiven all of his debt, and he didn't reciprocate his master's forgiveness by forgiving in the same way. Let that sink in. He was forgiven all of this debt. It was modeled for him. If anybody would know how much Somebody was forgiven. It was the person who was forgiven the greatest, right? And yet he didn't reciprocate his master's forgiveness. And then we see he received his master's wrath in verse 34. He was given over to the jailers. In the Greek, the, the word, it torturers. And he was tortured until he paid all that he owed, which was never going to happen before that. And, and a little side note on tortures, they were extremely cool. Cool. <laughs> no. Strike that. Edit. Whatever. Um, they were incredibly cruel. Because you know what? The way that they would get money is by... Uh, extracting it from maybe the people who are in jail. So this first servant, if he was in jail, say, we know you have possessions. You better give them to us or you're going to lose a finger. 
or a toe or a hand or a foot or an eye. We're going to make this so painful for you until you're begging us to take your possessions, whatever they may be. That's what torturers did. And, oh, you can't pay? Your family better pay for you. Because, dude, this ain't going to be fun for you, but it sure will be for us. That's the picture that Jesus was, was giving. Now look at how Jesus summarizes this story. In the summary, verse 35, which is the key to this whole passage. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Everyone will receive the same punishment or outcome. That's unforgiveness. If you don't forgive your brother, your fellow believer, from your heart. Now, what's this saying for us today? Well, I just, a couple takeaways. Because you know what, man? You could, you could I, I think you could preach a lifetime on, on the topic of forgiveness and still barely only scratch the surface. But one thing is we need to recognize that there's nothing we could ever do to pay our sin debt. Folks, our debt is immeasurable. And I know that I'm talking to believers and you're saying, yeah, yeah, you're right. We already know this. But I also know there's a lot of people who might be here, might be watching, who they think, yeah, preach it, Craig, preach it. And yet they cannot comprehend the debt that Jesus paid for them. They know about Jesus, but they don't know Jesus. Because if they did, they would be able to extend the same forgiveness that they themselves have received. And I know this is where we get to stepping on toes, but that's okay, because my own toes are being stepped on. Only Jesus' death on the cross was sufficient to pay the debt. That's it, nothing else. Not that and our good works. Nope, good works don't do anything. They're a fruit of, of what God has done in our hearts. They're, they're proof that we are following Jesus even when we stumble and fall but we get back up because we come right to him and you've heard me say before one of my favorite passages 1 John 1 9 right if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness and I sin again and I come and confess it. Not just so that I go, okay, I'm just going to confess it because I'm going to do the same thing again, but yeah, I want to have a, 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 a clean conscience. No, that's not what we're talking about. And that's not what Jesus is referring to. It's a repentant heart. It's a desire to follow Jesus even when it's hard. I have been crucified with Christ. Isn't that what Paul said? And it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. That's what we're called to, folks. A crucified life. A life that has died to the self and says, okay, Jesus, this is really going to be hard. 
I, I don't know how I'm going to do this, but I'm going to try my best. I'm, I'm going to depend on you. I'm going to trust in you to give me the strength to be able to forgive. Our sins are, are even greater than the 10,000 talents. The immeasurable number. The innumerable amount of money. And, and Jesus said, it's all paid. Because it's finished. I finished it. I got you covered. Another one is those who God has forgiven, that's us, the true believers, must forgive as God has forgiven them. And I know some of you might be thinking, but you don't know what this person, and you could put in the name, has done to me, Pastor Craig. You're right, I don't. I, I, I really don't. But I do not, I should say, I do know what Christ has done for me. And I know that what he's done for you as well. He paid my debt in spite of how sinful and evil my heart was and still is. When it's not in submission to the Holy Spirit that lives within me. But Jesus, uh, he taught that there's no limit to forgiveness. In Luke chapter 17, verses 3 and 4, we, we read this. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, what does Jesus say? You must forgive him. Earlier in Matthew chapter 6, Pastor Roger and, and, and Rick preached on this, where we see the example that Jesus shared. You don't, you don't say these words in the Lord's Prayer, but hey, let me just share with you, hey, here's some things to consider when you're praying. Chapter 6, verse 9, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts. But hold on to this. As we forgive our debtors. Or as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And then let's drop to 14 and 15. Can't leave these out. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now listen, there's, um, there, uh, I was going to close this message in one of two ways, and I'm just going to come back. I have, I have a journal. Listen, I'm a horrible journal person. I am. I, I'm just so inconsistent, but I've been trying to be more consistent. I've been trying to put prayers in here uh, for you, the church, uh, prayers in here for family, prayers in here just as, as God lays them on my heart, and also notes. And uh, I listened to a message that was given uh, on July 5th of this year uh, when this church, not this one, but when the pastor of this church back east uh, gave it, and it was on uh, forgiving one another, and Crawford Loritz, man, that, that, that 
brother can preach God's word. And his text was a different text, but I just wanted to share with you, he summarized the New Testament teaching. Again, summarizing meaning he's only hitting a few of these things, but they're kind of major points, and I thought I just wanted to kind of share them with us. He said, all of us are in need of forgiveness, Romans 3.23, right? For all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. He said, a lack of forgiveness is a barrier to our fellowship with God. I mean, imagine that. We're, we're putting this barrier between us and God. And I don't even want to think of a barrier this way. I want to think of a barrier of the roof because our relationship should be horizontal. I mean, yeah, vertical. Not horizontal. Thank you. Sorry. It should be vertical. And when we aren't forgiving, there's the barrier. There's the roof. He also said we're to forgive others even when they don't ask for it. Uh, I'm going to wait until they ask me. I'm going to make them squirm. Yeah, it's messing them up, boy. They, they, it's killing them. You know who it's killing? It's killing ourselves. Because that's where a root of bitterness starts to take root. And it, it, it just poisons us. And we think in our minds, yeah, I'm getting them. Nope, doesn't happen like that. I love this. Forgiveness takes one. Reconciliation takes two or more. When we saw earlier in the passage that Pastor Roger talked about, guess what? You go to him one-on-one. -on -one. And if he listens to you, you've won your brother back. If he doesn't, then you go back with, with two or three. And you go back to them. Right? And, and reconciliation, even if that doesn't work, then the whole church. But let's just go back to the one-on-one. -on -one. One person can be seeking reconciliation, but if that brother doesn't want it, there's not reconciliation until God does something in their heart and they can repent from what they've done, the, the injury that they have done to that person, to you. We give forgiveness even to those who don't deserve it. Oh, just think about Stephen when he was stoned for nothing more than just following Jesus, preaching the word, and he offered forgiveness. How about Jesus when he's on the cross? Father, forgive them, everybody down there, for they know not what they're doing. They didn't deserve it. And Jesus still died that they might have the opportunity to come to the Father. We're called to give an unlimited amount of forgiveness. We see this right here in this passage. And there's consequences when we choose not to forgive. We see those consequences spelled out for us from Jesus' story. And you know what? Choosing to step out of our relationship and protection of God, that's a consequence. When we can't forgive, we're choosing to step out of that relationship 
with God. We're choosing to step out of his protection. The king's protection. That's a consequence. And God gives us our ability to forgive others. We can't do this on our own. If, if you want to forgive somebody else, then pray and ask for God to melt your heart. Pray and ask for the strength to trust him so that you can take the baby steps of, of forgiving. Corey Ten Boom had talked about, uh, there was a book, movie, The Hiding Place. She was imprisoned. She wasn't Jewish, but she, her family housed Jews during the horrible time of the Holocaust. One day, she's talking about forgiveness to a church in Munich just a few years after she had experienced this horrible thing because she and her sister were in prison and her sister died a slow, grisly death. Corey survived. And as she's finishing talking about forgiveness to this whole little church, at the very end, up walks a man who was an SS soldier that she recognized, who was one of the guys who taunted and teased and leered, and, and all those guards, they would rape the women when they were taking their showers. And he comes on up to her, and he just says, Fraulein, I have heard your great message on forgiveness. I have become a follower of Jesus Christ, and I have come to seek and ask if you could forgive me. And Corey goes on to, to write how she was gripped. She saw him approaching. She thought he looks familiar. She saw the eyes and she just went, this can't be. And she stood there listening to his story and she is gripped with anger because she loved her sister so much. She was just gripped with hatred. She did not want to forgive. That was the last thing she wanted to do, even though she's at a church talking on forgiveness. And he extends his hand, and she says how she had to ask God for forgiveness right there for her unforgiving heart. And his hand is still out in front of her, and she's looking at it, and she's wrestling with God. God, please forgive me. I just can't do it. And then she says, not through a will of her own, her hand went up. And she says, at that moment, I couldn't tell the emotions that I was feeling if it was that because I was able to forgive him or if it was because I was experiencing God's forgiveness for my unforgiven heart. And she was released. It doesn't mean it was easy but where in the Christian life does it say it's going to be easy? Let's pray. Father in heaven, uh, I thank you that you are the great and mighty loving king that Jesus was talking about. Your love and mercy is limitless. It's, it's just unlimited. And Lord, the challenge that we have is 
trying to walk in Jesus' shoes. Lord, help us not to fall prey to, well, that was Jesus. He could do it, um, but I can't. No, Lord, you left, but you gave us your Holy Spirit that resides in us, that gives us the power to be able to do things that we can't do on our own. So may we experience extending giving your forgiveness to those that we have just held on to for so long. Help us, Lord, to be the example for others to see. We may not feel it, but Lord, I thank you that it's not about our feelings. It's about the truth of your word. It's about the reality of who Jesus was and the example he set. So Lord, would you give us the strength to walk in that truth, particularly in this area of, of forgiveness? And Lord, I also want to pray, would you help us? Because I know some struggle with forgiving themselves. Lord, can we just lay that at the foot of the cross as well? and know that your love covers everything. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.